Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, Pacific Standard Time. It's the 12th day of the 12th month of the 22nd year of the, what, second millennia AD? Yeah, that's sort of what it is. This is episode, I don't know what episode it is. You know why? Because I didn't come and, and build a show on Thursday or Friday. And it's, it's almost like people say, oh, it's just like riding a bike. Some things are not like riding a bike, okay? You can do something for four years straight and you know, skip a couple of days and come back to it. And it's like, what the hell am I doing? What the hell am I doing? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to do some boostograms for right now. At PTAR with the Striper Moose 7,777. Satoshi says, big shout out to Kevin McLeod and his fluty funk. If you don't know what he's referring to, he's referring to the bumper music of this podcast. That is fact. He's correct. It's it's Kevin McLeod. Of course, he probably knows that because I have to put that disclaimer in the show notes so that I don't get sued. It's a uh, it, it's free to use. The uh, Kevin McLeod has a bunch of music that's actually free to use, and as long as you acknowledge him, that's what he says in his license agreement. He says, "Look, dude, you can use this for whatever the hell you want, but you got to give you, you got to put this disclaimer into whatever it is that you publish." And I publish that in every single show note to give the guy, you know, the recognition that he deserves because he's actually, he's pretty good. And I've always loved this music. In fact, I tried changing the bumper music one time to something else just for shits and giggles. And dude, people got pissed and they told me all about it. And I was like, okay, just go, I'm just going to go back to the regular bumper music. Uh, Letter. Oh, by the way, that was, if I didn't say that, that was at PTAR. Yeah. Good one, Pitar. At letter 6173 with another striper boost says, planks, push-ups, pull-ups, Bitcoin podcasts, and clear alcohols are the best tools for self-improvement. And maybe a sauna or two at that. Uh, at Fitoshi with the big 5,000 sat boost says, out of interest, if I boost an old show, do you see it? Uh, let me answer that right now before I go on with his uh, boost. Uh, I, I can... The way that I'm looking at my boost is directly through the fountain app. And I go to the last show and click on that show and go to its boosts. Now, I haven't really played around to see if I can just get all my boosts. I think I think I can actually do that off of the website, but it's not very intuitive on the mobile app that I use, you know, the actual podcasting app that you really always use because that's when most people, you know, listen to podcasts on their iPhone or whatever smart device while they're carrying it around. And it's not so evident there. Okay. Actually, it's not evident at all 
honestly. But I have noticed that on the web version of Fountain, uh, which you can get to at uh, fountain.fm, I can see them, but I always use my phone just just the way that I'm setting up my setting up my uh, show. If you want to boost an old show, may, or if you want to say something that you're going to boost an old show, maybe boost the last show and refer to that episode and say, I would have boosted that one. I don't know if it's too much work. Don't worry about it. I will see if I can find a way to get uh, the... I will look very closely at, at fountain.fm on the web browser as well as the mobile app to see if I can get like non-show specific boost in, in order that they were received. Okay. <clears throat> he continues, Fatoshi does. You might like Murray Bookchin. You may hate him. He's an anarcho-environmentalist who talked about how humans project their philosophy onto the natural world. Yes, we do. The Native Americans saw nature as groups of rival tribes, the wolves, jackals, etc. Our current market-driven society see it as brutal, kill or be killed, survival of the fittest. I like to look at ecosystems. Ecosystems expand and contract. Every piece plays a role. Fatoshi understands this. Yeah, not that I, you know, I mean, just from reading that particular boost, I can already tell you that Fatoshi gets a lot of what an ecosystem actually is. You know, they, you know, they drill that shit to you through your head in school, you know, elementary school, and then in high school, and then in college science classes and shit like that. Generally speaking, all of them miss the point. You know, it's it somehow or another going, you know, taking an ecology class is tantamount to being trained or rather brainwashed how to be a fucking environmentalist. And when I mean environmentalist in this particular form and fashion, I don't mean the good kind of environmentalist like your rancher, who is an actual environmentalist, right? The guys that understand pasture management, understand animal husbandry, and understands the link between soil that is below and the animal that is above and what their relationship actually looks like and how many links to each other that relationship represents. But when you get it out of high school and elementary school and college, you end up being like a one of those weird hippie greenpeace environmentalists that hate humans and we everything we touch is, you know, destroyed. And while that is not far from the truth, it's not everything. In fact, there's a lot of people that have re- repaired vast tracts of land and even though I hate the fact that it's China for this example, there is a large amount of acreage and we're talking, we're it's not even acreage at this point. We're talking square miles. We're talking an entire, the loose plateau. And I believe that's spelled L-E-O-S-S plateau in China. Uh, you might want to go look at that. Now it was done with slave labor. Okay, that's bad. Humans shouldn't be forced or coerced in any way, shape, form, or fashion to do anything against their will. But the Chinese government did. In fact, they went to all the villages in this Lust Plateau, which had been environmentally devastated. I mean, let's just be fucking clear about it, all right? I'm I'm not going to paint you a pretty picture of this place. It was absolutely over-farmed, it was overpastured by animals 
well, by humans with animals. And if you don't, if you, if you leave animals that are grazing animals on a pasture in the same spot for too long, it will destroy the pasture. So between farming, erosion, pasturing animals for way too long, basically really shitty land practices, full square miles of the loose plateau were absolutely devastated and made ineligible for any kind of agricultural activity at all. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't support anything. It was just, it was like the largest blown out hay field that you've ever seen in your entire life. And the fucking Chinese government conscripted all the villages that are, were anywhere close to that thing and said, you will go and you're going to work with this plan that we've constructed with these scientists or whatever. And we're going to put this entire thing back together. And they did. And it worked. And if you look at the Lust Plateau, the pictures of before and after, it's stunning. But you got to remember it was done with slave labor. It was done with conscripts that were being forced into labor against their will. Okay, there's good and bad, right? That's always what life is. That's an ecosystem. It, for better or for worse, that's an example of an actual ecosystem. Not the Lust Plateau itself. The Lust Plateau and its interaction with human governments, human hands, human tools, and design plans. That's an, e that's an example of an ecosystem. It, the ecosystems that we talk about in, in school, honestly, they're not really ecosystems. They're just little plots of environments that have these interactions with each other. And they don't, they've never satisfied various questions when, I'm in, when I was in these classes. And, and the questions that, that we need to be asking is, you know, how is policy part of an ecosystem? We don't do that shit, but I digress. So there you go. There's, there's my, there's my two cents on that kind of thing. And yeah, he does get it. He, the, the, my booster, uh, they get it. They, they, they get this stuff. Now <clears throat> here's somebody, here's somebody who's still in the news. Yes, it's going to be Sam Bankman Fried. It is from Bitcoin Magazine. It is written by BTC Casey. Crypto news outlet, The Block, was secretly funded by Alameda Research. I knew those assholes were no good. I fucking hate The Block. Even before I was quick, quick kicked off of Twitter, I was blocked by The Block. I was blocked by two of the top guys at the block because I kept calling them out on their fucking bullshit. Now it looks like they were as just as knee deep into the mire along with the rest of the scammers in the quote unquote crypto space. Now you know why I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I have no shit anywhere on me. I, I, I'm, I'm clean as a whistle. That's why I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, because I like to sleep. I like to keep my reputation at least untarnished. And because I don't interact with any of these assholes in any way, shape, or form, my reputation is untouched. But here's more about these idiots from the block. Cryptocurrency news outlet, the block CEO has stepped down following revelations of undisclosed loans 
loans they took, loans people from disgraced FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried's hedge fund Alameda Research. Per a report by Axios, nobody else at the company was aware of these loans made to LLCs under control by the company's CEO, Michael McCaffrey. The LLCs, which limited liability companies is what that is, the LLCs owned by McCaffrey received three separate loans from Alameda, with the first being used to finance the $12 million April 2021 purchase of the block under the LLC MJ McCaffrey name. A second $15 million loan in January of this year provided funding for the block via an LLC named Lonely Road. A third loan of $16 million, according to the report, went to an LLC named Red Sea that McCaffrey used in part to buy a Bahamas apartment. Who else lives in the Bahamas? Oh yeah, that's Sam Bankman fried. Who was the ambassador to the Bahamas from the United States? Some guy that had a relationship or, or some guy that has a relationship to Carolyn, the uh, the CTO or COO of, of Alameda. I can't remember. The Bahamas. There's some weird shit going on in the Bahamas, but there always has been. The block's chief revenue officer, Bobby Moron, will take over as CEO and the company will seek to restructure in order to buy out McCaffrey's stake in the company. The report described how the news came as a shock to the block's editorial leadership, whose sources say are they're livid about McCaffrey's failure to disclose such a close and critical financial partnership with Bankman Fried and Alameda. Larry Cermak, that son of a bitch, the Block's VP of research, stated that Mike never asked me or anyone in research to cover FTX or SBF in any particular way, or anyone else for that matter. We had complete discretion to do our jobs. Frank Shapiro, the Block's news director, released this statement on Twitter, quote, I am absolutely gutted by this news. Yeah, bullshit, Frank. Uh, which was briefed to the company this afternoon, underpinning my shock are feelings of utter disgust and betrayal by Mike's actions, greed, lack of disclosure. He's literal scum. Oh, shit. <laughs> Actually, Frank may not be so bad here. He's little literal scum. He kept every single one of us in the dark. Yeah, well, I'm still not a fan of Frank Shapiro, but when he calls out a son of a bitch like that, he may actually have some amount of, of, you know, ethics. I don't know. Like I said, not a fan of Frank Shapiro, but I'll tell you who I'm not a fan of at all. And that's Larry Cermak, shit coiner extraordinaire. And the block as a publication should literally be disregarded by every single person listening to my voice. Why? Because it's a shit coin rag. Now, there are times that I read stories about Bitcoin from shitcoin rags like Cointelegraph and Decrypt. That's because there's not there there's only one good solid media company in the space that is Bitcoin only, and that's Bitcoin Mag. You know, Bitcoin Magazine. I I would love for somebody else to step up to the plate and rival Bitcoin Magazine. Give them a, you know give them a run for their money. At least it would you know I don't know. Uh, get some competition going, you know, kind of get the blood flowing a little bit. But, you know, be that as it may, I rarely ever read anything from the block. And then after a while, especially after Larry Cermak blocked me for just simply calling him out on some simple bullshit, 
and I realized what a weak, spineless, sackless piece of shit he really is, I just stopped reading the block altogether. I couldn't do it anymore because I knew these guys were pieces of crap. Now it shows, but there you go. Now, <clears throat> let's get into some of this Binance stuff that's going on. Now, in the space, after, especially after FTX, but this, you know, the, the conjecture happened after Terra Luna collapsed too. In fact, after every single collapse of any kind of crypto thing whatsoever, the first thing people say is, next is Tether. But right on the heels of that, they always talk about Binance, and this time is no different. Abnormal altcoin trading on Binance is just market behavior, says the CEO. Decrypt.co, Andre Bagansky is writing this one. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance issued a notice on Sunday acknowledging reports that a handful of shitcoins were trading in an abnormal fashion on its platform. The exchange stated it would investigate the matter and take the appropriate actions against suspicious accounts. Binance's chief executive, Shengbang Zhao, also known as CZ, later declared that the price movements appeared to be, you know, simple market behavior. He explained that one account deposited funds into a trading account, started buying up certain coins, and that others followed suit. However, he said that Binance did temporarily restrict accounts associated with the shitcoin trading that took place, preventing them from being able to withdraw their funds. Mm. The decision was reversed after the company received a lot of complaints on social media from users in various countries, Zhao said. In a subsequent Tweet, CZ recognized there's such a thing as too much intervention in maintaining an exchange that operates in an industry which centers around the notion of decentralization. No, you think? There's a balance to the appropriate amount of intervention, he said, adding that it's sometimes, it's sometimes worth letting similar situations just play themselves out. In its statement, Binance claimed the trading activity in question on Sunday did not seem to be a result of compromised customer accounts or stolen API keys, but said that it would provide updates if more relevant information became available. The clarification comes after one of Binance's users, who has since had their accounts suspended, expressed concern last week that an API key was leaked through intermediary trading platform 3 commas, which led them to lose funds. The user who goes by Coin Mamba on Twitter, exchanged a series of tweets with CZ over the funds that went missing. Coin Mamba stated, quote, it would be nice, unquote, to get a refund, but was mostly upset about the lack of prompt action. Zhao replied, it was not a situation that warranted a refund, adding that it's important for one to keep their API key secure. In a now-deleted tweet, Zhao also said that he was also considering Restrictions on CoinMamba's account in addition to three commas because Binance doesn't want to service people that are being unreasonable. CoinMamba later claimed that his account was closed because of statements he made on Twitter. The Twitter account for Binance's customer support team replied claiming that CoinMamba's account was set to withdraw only mode because of threats the user allegedly made. Oh God, fucking infants, infants over here. Three commas had put out a press release on Saturday to address questions about attacks on their platform and API keys. The post urged users impacted by attackers to file police reports as quickly as possible so funds can be frozen and potentially recovered. It also warned three commas users 
to beware of phishing attacks. And then on Sunday, 3Com has also posted a statement on Twitter that claimed false rumors were being spread online by bad faith actors, which accused the platform of leaking users' API keys. 3Com has said the rumors related to uh, fake screenshots. Binance, 3 commas, and CoinMamba did not respond to immediate requests for comment. Okay, so that's sort of floating around right before we get into the United States government possibly doing shit to Binance. So let's stay right here for, for just a few minutes because this, this is important. One, do not trust CZ. But that doesn't mean, I, that, that's not to say that I know him and that I think he's an altogether complete scumbag. I have a certain amount of respect for the guy because he's an operator and has survived almost everything that's been thrown at him to date and operates the largest shitcoin casino in the world. It also happens to sell Bitcoin. I'm just saying that I, I, I haven't seen anything overtly negative from CZ until this one. The arbitrary shutting down of people's accounts because you don't like them or what they say on Twitter is not the way to run a business. Even if he is way more successful than I will ever be in 12 lifetimes put together, I still say that and not even blink. You cannot run a business by taking shits on your customers because they're having a bad day. Okay? You can't just arbitrarily do that because when you do, you start losing the trust of the people that aren't pissing you off. And that is going to happen if he continues to do this. It's the the entire quote-unquote crypto industry is in the shitter and is burning. It's on fire. This is not the time for anybody in the shitcoin industry to be doing unilateral actions against customers because they say something on Twitter or for any other reason, for that matter. If I was trading on shitcoin exchange Binance and I tried to hack into their servers and steal coins I and they find out, not only do I expect to go to jail, I expect them to close my account. That I see. But if you're just arbitrarily closing accounts because users threatened you and then you don't really provide any proof, I don't know. And even if you do provide proof, shutting down the user account before you actually file a police report on that person in question, if you can, because this is multinational and that things get really confusing and I, I understand that part, but at least file a fucking police report if you feel that your life is in danger or something of that magnitude, or you feel that your company's operations might be in danger because the threat was that they were going to hack your servers or something. You don't just close their account. Sure, put it under suspension, I get it, or, or withdrawal only mode or something like that, but you actually have to take action on the threat that you said this user made. And the other thing is, don't keep your Bitcoin on any exchange. We're gonna see somebody later on today in the show who runs an exchange who's telling you not to keep your money on their exchange and anybody else's exchange whatsoever. And he's one of the people that I respect in the space the most, even though by definition, because he's got an exchange, he trades in shit coins. And yet I still respect this guy, but 
Now we get into the Department of Justice and Binance. <clears throat> so hot off the heels of that whole alt or shit coin thing that we just got out with, the United States Justice Department is now split over a decision to charge Binance in a criminal investigation, BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. Binance has responded to the Reuters report stating on Twitter, quote, Reuters has it wrong again, and they're attacking our incredible law enforcement team, a team that we're incredibly proud of. They're made, they've made crypto safe and secure for all of us with a link below to a blog post highlighting their claims of the competency of their security team. According to Reuters sources, discussions included potential plea deals in relation to charges of unlicensed money transmission, money laundering conspiracy, and criminal sanctions violations. Any one of those is a death sentence, by the way, if they want to, if DOJ wants to fully prosecute. I'm just, I'm just saying it's, it's almost a death sentence. As the news source notes, the investing bodies could, I think they meant investing, investigative. As the news source notes, the investing bodies could bring an indictment against Binance and executives at the company, could accept a settlement or could do nothing to the company at all. Binance has reportedly argued that a criminal prosecution would wreak havoc on a crypto market already in a prolonged downturn. Gonna pause right there to utter the words from one of the people in this space that I do respect, and that's Rodolfo Novak. And when he was responding to this particular story, he said, flush it, flush it all. And I agree. I honestly think if Binance would go the fuck down, then maybe, maybe, just maybe enough people will learn their lessons and stop shitcoining. I mean, enough people. I don't need everybody to do it. I need enough people to do it. Maybe, just maybe. So I'm kind of hoping that they take Binance down to get the rest of this shit burned up. Because it's just, it's just, it's like, Loose ends, man. It's just loose ends. And in, any one of them can reignite and set the whole rag on fire. And when you're a diesel-soaked rag of shit coinery, you're going to go up in flame. Continuing on, the cryptocurrency exchange responded to the investigation by hiring a former chief of MLARS, Kendall Day, who reportedly had been meeting with justice officials and communicating with investigators. Binance is the world's largest shitcoin exchange with a 24-hour trading volume of about, you know, $10.5 billion on the day of reporting. A separate U.S. entity exists, which is Binance.us. The international company does not have an official headquarters, according to the CEO. Yeah, we don't, we know, we don't know enough about Binance to actually say anything. We just continuously trust that it's there, that it exists and that it's somehow above board. And so far, it is proven to be rather resilient. So therefore, we have this tendency to, you know, unconsciously believe that its underpinnings are sound. But the same thing was said about FTX before that son of a bitch exploded, right? It, because it survived, that's sort of the Lindy effect, right? Because it survived to live another day, FTX gained more trust. And the more it lived, 
the more trust it that it was able to garner from the public until people stopped really asking questions and then CZ asked the one question of all. I have questions about the efficacy of FTT token, which clearly underpinned everything out of FTX and everything underneath Alameda. So when he asked that question and said he was going to sell FTT token, it basically cut all the invisible legs that were never really there that we thought were there for FTX down to the ground and the whole thing came crashing down. Now you got to ask yourself, if CZ and Binance are dirty dealing, or if they're in a position that could cause a collapse of Binance, then why, oh why, did CZ pull the plug on the FTT token, therefore FTX and Alameda? If he knew that he was unstable as well and Binance was unstable as well. I'm not saying that this should be your evidence that Binance isn't going to go under. But you do have to ask that question because if they were on, on any kind of silty, sandy, faulty foundations whatsoever, you got to ask, would CZ pull the plug that publicly causing this much damage and havoc if he didn't know that he wasn't on sandy or silty foundations, that he was on concrete? which had pillars driven 10 feet underground. I don't think Binance is going to go away. Is there an investigation that's going to happen? Probably. The DOJ is going to investigate everybody at one point or another. SEC is going to as well, if they can ever get Gensler to get out of his goddamn office bathroom and come join the fucking party. But be that as it may, no, no, no. They're going to investigate everybody. My money is on that Binance survives, but I don't know. And don't trust me. That doesn't mean, oh, oh, he he says it's okay. I'm going to put all my money on Binance. Don't do that. Don't trust me. Verify it. Verify it. Verify it. United States Senator, there's no reason why crypto should exist. Brian Quarmby, Cointelegraph. Another shitcoin skeptic United States Senator is on the loose. Democrat John Tester is boldly stating that he sees no reason why crypto should exist at all. Tester is the senior senator of Montana and has held a seat there since 2007. He also serves on the Senate Banking Committee, which was one of the key players involved in the ongoing debate over crypto regulation in the United States. During a December 11th appearance on NBC's Meet the Press, Tester argued that as crypto has no real value at all, the sector shouldn't be regulated, Uh uh-oh, as that would give it legitimacy. Quote, It's not been able to pass the smell test for me. Oh, he's the only human that exists. Although I agree because crypto is basically nothing but shit coin. But aside from that, we have, we have a Senator with a grandiose scale of self-importance. I'm just saying it's not been able to pass the smell test for me. I haven't been able to find anybody who's been able to explain to me what's there other than synthetics, which means nothing. Adding that quote, the problem is if we regulate it, and I pointed this out to some of the regulators here a week or two ago, if we regulated it, it may give it the ability of people to think it's real. End quote. Jeez. Fucking Montana. In line with such thinking, Tester 
then went on to state that he sees no reason why this stuff should exist at all. The crypto community wasn't shy about slamming the senator's anti-crypto remarks and his self-admitted lack of crypto knowledge with a username, I don't know, BS something 64, saying that it's always good to see people who have no idea what they're talking about to express really strong opinions on the matter. Ha! Ah, that's, that's 100% true. Also, Block Nonprofit argued, quote, it is real. Imagine all those cryptos are just tech stocks not traded on traditional exchanges Exchanges used today. That's just bullshit, whatever. Tester's most recent testy uh, comments come just a couple of weeks after he told media startup Semaphore that the sector was all bullshit and that he can't figure out what supports it. Semaphore's December 1st article was so littered with negative crypto stances from a bunch of Democrat senators, with crypto hater Elizabeth Warren going in hard by noting, quote, finally, there are more people blowing the bullshit whistle, end quote. Bernie Sanders was at least more diplomatic, stating that he's not a big fan of crypto. Commenting on the article via Twitter, Semaphore Washington editor J uh, Jordan Weissman suggested that since the FTX debacle went down, quote, Democrats suddenly feel free to say what they really think about the crypto industry. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because why? SBF was a major Democrat donor. But to be fair, okay, I'm just being balanced here, man. He also donated to a shit ton of Republicans. I don't think anybody really knows for sure what the split percentage wise ver blue versus red really is. I've heard everything from it was 50-50. I've heard it was 99% Democrats to 1% Republicans. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Because that last statement makes everything kind of crystallize in my head as to who probably got most of the money. It's now it's all the Democrats are coming out, slamming the crypto industry, and they're going to go hard in, brothers and sisters. This is not just them going to make a couple of statements. No, they're out for blood. They're out for some revenge because FTX, not only has it made them look bad now, that is fuel. That is, that's like a strategic petroleum reserve for anybody that wants to get under the skin of the liberal left is to bring up SBF, FTX, Alameda, and the immense amount of money that Democrats took from this fucking scumbag. And they know it's coming. They know it's not going to go away anytime soon. That they basically built themselves or made themselves a bed that they're going to have to lie in through the entirety of at least this winter. And it's going to suck for them. So they're mad. They're going to exact revenge in any way, shape, form, fashion that they can. My advice to you, get all of your Bitcoin off exchanges. If you're a shit coiner, better luck to you next time. Uh, where are we? We are at 34 minutes, so let's go ahead and run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities with a pop-up ad for CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer. Yeah, it just popped up just a second ago. Join the monthly meeting to see how Jim is investing. What they should be saying is to see how Jim is investing and counter-trade his ass. 
If you know, you know. Uh, oil, West Texas Intermediate, getting some love today. Three and a quarter percent to the upside to $73.35. Britain or C likewise up two and a half points to $78 and a single penny. Um, so natural gas is up 7.61% to $6.72 per thousand cubic feet. Gas, uh, gasoline is up one and a half points to $2.08 a gallon. Sorry about that. Got interrupted again. I knew my phone was going to start blowing up again. It always happens nowadays. It didn't ever used to happen, you know, back in, in Canyon when I was doing the show. Yeah, I could do the show and my phone was dead silent. I get up here and man, all hell breaks loose. So getting into metals for commodities, they're all sucking swamp water. Gold is down just over a point to 1790 bucks an ounce. Silver is down 1.4%, $23.38. Platinum is down almost three points. Copper is down a little over two points. Palladium is down a full four points. Agricultural stuff is mixed with the biggest winner being, ooh, coffee up 5.79%, followed by wheat up three points. Biggest loser today is going to be cotton, 2.11% to the downside. And NASDAQ is up a quarter of a point. S&P mini is up a half a point. S&P itself is up 0.62%. And the Dow is up almost a full point. Real money is sitting at $17,048, clearly shaking off the Binance news. But don't get complacent. I don't think this is over yet, okay? I don't think this is going to be over until, I don't know, second. If any, if if it's going to be over at all, right, in the short term, that short-term outlook for me is at least the end of the first quarter of 2023. There are 5,478 transactions waiting on three blocks to clear. We have a $327.8 billion market cap. That is still 2.66% of gold's market cap. And you can purchase 9.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,231,710.85 of. And 5,070.89 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $86.4 million, being run over 15,991 total nodes, sporting 76,318 total channels and 68.8% of all that shit's being run over Tor. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Bitcoin Magazine, how dozens of Denver middle schoolers became Bitcoin entrepreneurs by Ryan Breesh. Anthony Felaciano and Mark Mararia. I butchered all those names. Sorry. On November the 18th, 2022, about 85 students braved cold, snowy Friday morning at Strive Preparatory Lake Middle School in Denver, Colorado to participate in a unique program. Even though they got a late start because of snowfall the night before, there was a sense of eager anticipation in the air. Ryan Breesh, a Denver Bitcoiner, had been frequently talking to his significant other about issues Bitcoin could help solve or some new Bitcoin products that he was excited about. 
His wife, Nicole, is a sixth grade math teacher at Strive Prep and had started to respond that he should come and speak to her class about some of the basic mathematical foundations of Bitcoin. In October, Nicole was telling Breesh about an enrichment class led by his co-worker, Rawa Abu Al-Swama, Ooh, I butchered that one too, which was working with an outside group, We Thrive. We Thrive offers entrepreneurial apprenticeships to in which youth start their own ventures, earn real revenue, and gain mentorship. Al-Sama's, Al-Sama, I think that's his name, Al-Sama's 7th and 8th grade students were creating their own businesses through the guidance of We Thrive and would be selling their products at a pop-up market later in the month. When hearing about the event, Brisha's first question was, do you think they would be interested in being able to buy and sell their products in Bitcoin? From there, the idea was in motion and Breesh reached out to his local Bitcoin Telegram group for the content experts that would be needed to make the idea work. Anthony Feliciano and Mark Maria, Maria, I think, quickly volunteered not only their expertise on money, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, but also their time, energy, and Satoshis. Over the next three weeks, Breesh, Feliciano, and Maria met, spoke, and quickly devised a plan of action. Maria would teach the kids about money and Bitcoin, and Feliciano would focus on the use of the Moon Wallet and the Lightning Network. The first week's presentation was focused on getting the students to think about money, how it worked, who currently controlled it, and then questioned them about how it could be different and how the Bitcoin network and monetary system worked. It ended with a little homework assignment. Download Moon Wallet. The next week, the morning of the pop-up show, the three men were back at the school passing out sats and were fundraised over the previous week and showing students how to create and pay invoices. Needless to say, the digital native students took to Moon Wallet and Lightning payments like a fish to water. On that cold, snowy morning, dozens of student vendors arrived before the pop-up event so they could learn how to receive sats in payments or in payment for their product or service from other students. The plan called for these students to use the Lightning Network exclusively, and that meant the student entrepreneurs needed to know how to create an invoice. These student entrepreneurs received $5 to start their day and were encouraged to let the other students know they would accept payments in SATs. Within a few minutes, each student had learned wallet basics and went to their booth armed with the knowledge of how to accept Bitcoin in payment for their product or services. Earlier that morning, these young entrepreneurs had set up their booth in the school gym featuring signage which advertised their product or service and a price list offering a wide variety of goods such as homemade cupcakes, cookies, waffles, and other handmade goods, as well as services such as neck shaves and shoe shines. Dude, not getting my neck shaved by a middle schooler. Not gonna freaking happen, just not. The event began with the students downloading Moon Wallet and learning how to create invoices. Next, the students were all instructed to create lightning invoices to receive $5 worth of sats as they headed down to the pop-up show in the gymnasium. Just over 80 students and a couple of teachers were loaded with sats to spend. Some of the boldest students came back to reload after they spent their first sats. It really was a sight to see just a mere few hours earlier. Students were downloading the Moon Wallet itself. Soon after, merchants were creating invoices for goods, kids were running around performing transactions, and through all the excitement, you could hear merchants yelling, I accept Bitcoin, the level of enthusiasm. 
that the students showed toward learning how to spend and receive Satoshis was inspiring and would make any Bitcoiner optimistic about our future. The event was a huge, huge, huge success with many of the students thanking our local Bitcoiners for the lessons and the sats. The students, being digitally native, were able to grasp how to use the technology with incredible ease. They were all told of the importance of remembering their four-digit code and using the security features to back up and recover the moon wallet as needed. This began their first tentative steps toward owning a form of property with a level of responsibility that none of them have ever known. By the end of the event, most industrious vendors held more than 180,000 sats in their wallets and a growing awareness that this new kind of money spelled opportunity. Our local Bitcoiners also took the time to educate a few of the teachers on how to download a wallet and receive sats. After receiving sats on her moon wallet, one teacher was blown away with the idea that she didn't have to provide a phone number, an address, or a social security number, and that it did not require permission from a bank nor government. All it takes is a phone and an internet connection to send money to someone on the other side of the world. Yeah, we've known that for years. This is where we are, guys. This is where we are in, in education around the world. We've still got people that are still getting their minds blown when they figure it out. You just got to get them there so they can look at it and go, oh shit, and they'll do the rest themselves. That's all we got to do. We don't have to teach them everything. All we have to do is get them to a place where they go, oh shit, and they will take care of the rest of that journey themselves. Think about it. For all the people that are like, oh my God, the education space is, it, it's just blowing my mind how much work has to be done. Honestly, the only work that has to be done is to get people to the oh shit moment. They will take care of the rest of their education by themselves, for themselves. I guarantee it. Continue. And as our local Bitcoiners left the event, there were many shouts of thanks as they walked out confident that the rabbit hole was drawing near for a new crop of Bitcoiners. At the very least, a cohort of 7th and 8th graders were much more curious about Bitcoin. The only thing that can top that feeling is to see another million Bitcoiners march into a local school near them and do something similar. If you're interested in learning more, please contact Birsch. And that contact information is... Let's see. It's an email address. Uh, do, do, do. Uh, well, let's see if I can just get it uh, off of here. It is B-R-I-C-H-S-T-E-R at gmail.com. B-R-I-S-C-H-S-T-E-R at gmail.com. If you want to learn more, I encourage you to do that. Arthur Hayes, let's shift some gears. One of my favorite people in the space. Not sure if I trust him, but he's definitely entertaining, always is. Arthur Hayes that b says that Bitcoin has bottomed because everyone who could go bankrupt has gone bankrupt. Stephen Kate, Cointelegraph. Arthur Hayes, former CEO of crypto derivatives platform BitMEX, thinks the worst might be over for Bitcoin. This cycle is the largest, most irresponsible entities have all run out of Bitcoin to sell. Quote, looking forward... Pretty much everyone who could go bankrupt has gone bankrupt, he said in the December 11th interview with crypto advocate and podcaster Scott Melker. Hayes elaborates on his stance by explaining that when centralized lending firms have financial troubles, 
They will often call in loans first, then sell BTC first because it operates as the reserve asset of crypto and the most pristine asset and as well as being the most liquid. Quote, when you look at the balance sheet of any of the of of these heroes, there's no Bitcoin on it because what do they do? They sold the Bitcoin as they were going bankrupt. They sold the Bitcoin during the wave before they went bankrupt, end quote. Hayes voiced a similar argument on a December 10th blog post, explaining that while this credit crunch is ongoing, large physical sales of BTC are taking place on exchanges from both sales trying to avoid bankruptcy and trading firms who have had loans recalled and must liquidate their positions. Sales, by the way, is that centralized lending firm. That's what a sell is anyway. Quote, this is why the price of Bitcoin swoons before sales go bankrupt. That's the big move. Continuing, he says, I can't demonstratively prove that all Bitcoin held by these failed institutions was sold during the multiple crashes, but it does look as if they tried their best to liquidate the most liquid crypto collateral they could right before they all went under, end quote. Hayes believes the large-scale liquidations are at an end though, explaining in the blog post that quote, there's no reason why you would hold on if you had an urgent need for fiat, end quote. He's got a point. Following the collapse of crypto exchange FTX and the subsequent fallout, the market is still deep in the grips of crypto winter, but Hayes believes the market could see some recovery this next year. Quote, I believe the United States Treasury market will become dysfunctional at some point in 2023 due to the Fed's tightening monetary policies. He said, adding that at that point, I expect the Fed will turn the printer back on and then boom, shaka shaka, Bitcoin and all the other risk assets will spike higher. Yeah, and I kind of agree with that too, but I wish I didn't. Because I don't want, I, I would rather Bitcoin not be attached at all to any of this stuff, to the U.S. Treasury Department, to money printer go burr or money printer shut off, or to idiots like SBF running around doing wicked shit. The one thing that I caution uh, Arthur on here is that he's saying that, well, everybody that can go bankrupt did go bankrupt. I'm still cautious about Binance. I mean, I, I doubt very seriously that CZ, the CEO of Binance, is so moronic and so stupid as to not have been on very stable financial footing when he pulled the plug on FTX. Because you you drop a stone that big in the ocean, all the boats are going to get the wave. And you're one of those boats. We're all boats. And some went under and some didn't. Some had more exposure to the wave and others didn't. But Binance had exposure, massive exposure to shit coins, to loans, to lending platforms, to VC, to you name it, man. They had exposure. And CZ dropped the biggest rock that we've seen in a very long time into the deepest ocean and tsunamis occurred. He was going to be affected. Does that mean that I think it's impossible for Binance to go down? No, and that's my point. That's the point that I'm trying to make to Arthur Hayes right now, is that I would not be so glib as to say, well, it's all over. I don't think it's over. There's probably some companies out there besides Binance 
that somehow or another are still in a situation where they hold maybe some Bitcoin on their books and they're going to have to liquidate. And I'm looking at miners specifically, big public Bitcoin miners. That's the people that I'm looking at next. Okay. But if Binance goes down, well, then this crypto winter extends for at least a year. I'm just saying, that's just me being truthful. Not, I'm not going to shellac it for you. Okay. Not going to put a nice little paint job on it. All right. Be prepared. Be mentally prepared to take every amount of kicks in the crotch that you can until you either pass out and wake up after it's all said and done or just die on the spot. Okay. Be prepared. Don't get complacent in this time of crypto winter. Good news though, Bitcoin Magazine is bringing it to us from Nomsios. Bitcoin's Lightning Network is enabling instant fiat transfers between Europe and Africa. Bitcoin app Coin Center said in a statement on Monday that it had enabled Send Globally, a feature that lets foreign users instantly and cheaply send remittances to Africa for its EU and UK customers. The feat is made possible through partnership with African-based Bitcoin app Bitnob and comes on the heels of a similar team with Lightning Payments app Strike. Last week, Strike enabled Send Globally for its U.S. users, letting them instantly transfer money to bank accounts in Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya with minimal fees. Bitnob bridges that gap between local citizens and people in the United States, the EU, and the U.K. with Bitcoin's Lightning Network, the peer-to-peer currencies overlay protocol. Quote, for us at Bitnob, this is another leap forward in economic empowerment for Africans, said Bernard Perrault, CEO of Bitnob, in a statement. Quote, Sub-Saharan Africa remains the most expensive region to send money to, where sending $200 costs an average of 8.2% in the fourth quarter of 2020, according to the World Bank. Bitcoin is powering the future of money, and this partnership highlights a strong use case of what the future will look like, end quote. Under the hood, Send Globally works by having each of the local Bitcoin apps be the fiat on and off ramps. First, US dollars, euros, or British pounds gets converted to Bitcoin by Strike or Coin Corner. The BTC is then sent through Lightning to Bitnob. Finally, the African app deposits the corresponding amount in local currency to the receiving user. Despite all of these steps, the process is cheap and nearly instantaneous thanks to the speed and the efficiency of the Lightning Network. Quote, the borderless nature of Bitcoin has always made it a great tool for sending money around the world. But now, with the Lightning Network, sending Bitcoin is instant and very low cost, said Danny Scott, Coin Corner CEO, in a statement. Quote, by partnering with Bitnob to provide a seamless cross-border experience using Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, we hope to remove some of the friction and cost that customers experience when using traditional foreign exchange and money remittance companies. So that, that sh- the, the Send Globally thing is larger than I thought. I mean, I knew that Strike was involved and Coin Corner was involved, but this kind of, you know, unteases the fact that Send Globally seems to be a non-proprietary situation and that it's a technology or something that anybody can leverage. I don't know. I I don't know. I just bring you the news. You want to dig it out. 
knock yourself out, man. But we got uh, Paxful, Ray Paxful to talk about. This is the guy that I was telling you about at the head of the show. Let's just get into it. Paxful CEO preaches Bitcoin self-custody, advises against crypto exchanges. Cointelegraph, Arjit Sarkar. The case for self-custody grows stronger as investors demand evidence of their assets over crypto exchanges. While some CEOs choose to double down on assuring that the fund's safety on their platforms is secured, Ray Yosef, the CEO of crypto exchange Paxful, sided with the idea of self-custody as he took responsibility for over 11 million users. The fall of FTX was an eye-opener for investors who predominantly entrusted crypto exchanges with safeguarding their assets. FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, however, broke this trust by misappropriating user funds via Alameda Research. Ever since, numerous exchanges had to share wallet information as proof of reserves publicly. In a tweet, Yosef distanced himself from the others in the industry, reiterating that he never touched investors' money, adding that quote, My sole responsibility is to help and serve you. That's why today I'm messaging all of our Paxful users to move your Bitcoin. He actually says this in the quote. I'm not changing words. Use or move your Bitcoin to self-custody. You should not, not keep your savings on Paxful or any exchange and only keep what you trade there. End quote. Yusuf will send weekly emails to strong, uh, users strongly advising against storing cryptocurrencies on all cryptocurrency exchanges, including his own, Paxful. The entrepreneur further highlighted the problem with trusting custodians such as SBF, stating, quote, you're at the mercy, mercy of their morals, end quote. Thanks to Nakamoto, Bitcoin as an asset is shielded from centralized control and manipulation. Yosef pointed out this unique opportunity that Bitcoin brings to the table, quote, the chance to finally be in control, end quote. While he strongly advised users to take control over their assets, Yosef assured their fund's safety for investors that choose to store their Bitcoin on Paxful. Moreover, the entrepreneur plans to remove Ethereum, or rather Ether, from Paxful as a tradable asset, citing the lack of integrity compared to the Bitcoin ecosystem. That's a big one. And if you just, for whatever reason, were zoning out on the road or something, I'll read it to you again. Moreover, Ray Youssef, CEO of Paxful, is planning to remove Ether from Paxful as a tradable asset, citing the lack of integrity compared to the Bitcoin ecosystem. Bitch slap. The plan to delist Ether from Paxful came after Jeremy Garcia, the founder and CEO of Satoshi's Journal, pointed out Ethereum's poorly designed protocol. SBF made the headlines after revealing his plan to start a new business for repaying the FTX investors. Quote, I would give anything to be able to do that. And I'm going to try if I can, <laughs> quote, the infamous entrepreneur or end quote, the inter- uh, infamous entrepreneur said when recently asked by the BBC during an interview, if he'd start a new business to repay FTX users. Yeah, SBF, you can go, you can go screw yourself. The biggest news out of that, is that Ray Youssef is putting his money where his mouth is in two ways. He's going to at least delist Ether, thank God. I wish he'd delist everything, but then again, he's an exchange. 
See, these guys have worked themselves into a really tight corner on shit coinery. Even the good guys that want to be the good guys are like, ay, 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 maybe I shouldn't have done that. Be that as it may, at least he's doing the right thing by examining the removal of ether because that is a shit show you should not get into. Second, a CEO of an exchange advising his customers to get your money off of his own exchange speaks a lot about his ethical stance. I mean, sure, is it somebody, I'm sure somebody out there right now is going, dude, this is fucking marketing, maybe. Let's see if he does it. But if he does it, you need to take it back. It's not just marketing, it's actually him doing something. So that's good news, honestly, very good news. Now, Sam Bankman-Fried says that he will, he will testify before the House Financial Services Committee but only from remote. Derek Anderson, Cointelegraph.com. Continuing his so-called apology tour, Sam Bankman-Fried appeared on a Twitter Spaces chat with unusual whales and told 60,000 listeners that he intends to testify at the United States House of Representatives Financial Services Committee remotely on December the 13th. He was previously confirmed to appear in person. Bankman-Fried, who is allegedly currently located in the Bahamas, missed the deadline to confirm his appearance before the Senate Banking Committee the following day, despite the threat of a subpoena. Despite his frequent public speaking, Bankman-Fried has gone silent on Twitter himself, not posting since December the 9th when he indicated his agreement to appear at the House committee hearing. John Ray, who has taken over from Bankman-Fried as FTX CEO since the firm's bankruptcy, is also slated to appear at the House hearings before the full committee. Ray, who oversaw the liquidation of Enron, has expressed dismay at the management of FTX. Crypto skeptics Hillary Allen and Ben McKenzie are expected to appear at the Senate hearing. Allen is a law professor in McKenzie, whose full name is Ben McKenzie Shinekran, whatever, is an actor who has spoken out against crypto, bucking the controversial trend of celebrity crypto endorsements. Investor and former FTX spokesperson Kevin O'Leary and Cato Institute Director of Financial Regulation Studies Jennifer Schlupp are also expected to be there. U.S. authorities have reportedly threatened to extradite Bankman Fried from the Bahamas He reportedly faces criminal charges in that country as well. The U.S. Justice Department has reportedly launched its own investigation of Bankman Fried for fraud related to money transfers from the United States to the Bahamas carried out just days before FTX declared bankruptcy. Bankman Fried has reportedly hired former federal prosecutor Mark Cohen for his defense. Cohen is best known for defending socialite Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, he lost that, by the way. Not sure if I would want that particular lawyer that's just messy. I mean, honest, I mean, first of all, the, the stink of his, of, of his client, Ghislaine Maxwell, and the fact that he lost that case. <laughs> Whatever. The U.S. Justice Department uh, has reportedly launched its own investigations. Uh, what is it? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I already did that one. Caroline Ellison, former CEO of FTX-linked Alameda Research, that, that's her name, yeah, will reportedly be represented by former Securities and Exchange Commission Enforcement Director, Stephanie Vacrin, Vacian, who, what, what, no, what, no. Represented by former Securities and Exchange Commission Enforcement Director Stephanie Avakian. 
you got some really, really high powered friends for somebody who looks like they're a freshman in college. What the fuck is going on? None of this makes sense. The only way this makes sense is if all of these people like Sam Bankman Fried and Carolyn, the chick from Alameda, that they were set up to do this entire thing. And they had all the plugs in the wall when they were finally going to go down. It's been said that CZ pulled the plug on this entire thing way earlier than anybody wanted, but the plug was going to be pulled regardless of who did it and when. But that's one of the reasons why I can't hate CZ for what he did. Because if this shit had been allowed to continue to its logical conclusion, it would be way, way worse. And CZ saw the kill shot wide, just wide open as can be and took it. So there's two things. The leaked balance sheet that told CZ where the kill shot was and the kill shot itself. Those two things. I don't know. What was it an accident? I'm not being conspiratorial here, but those are the two things that I focus on the most. The fact that something got leaked. How? Who did it? We know when, but who? How did they come into the knowledge? How did Coindesk come into that knowledge? And how was that knowledge determined to be so bulletproof that CZ took the shot? Those two questions are unanswered in my mind. If they're answered in yours, by all means, boost a gram the shit out of me. Let me know how, because I'd like to. But it's the end of the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. <clears throat> I tripped in France. I fell over. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. I use Fountain App, but there's a lot more. There's a lot more. Breeze, Breeze Wallet has a has a, a Podcasting 2.0 enabled podcast player inside of it. And you can stream me Satoshis from there while I stream you these dulcet tones just as easily as you can do it from Fountain App. But I just happen to use Fountain App as my daily driver. And I want those guys to do very, very well, which is why I shill the shit out of them for free. Now, Boostograms are always welcome. I always love reading your Boostograms on air. I want more of them. And I understand I'm being really spotty in the way that I'm carrying this show forward. It's just where my life is right now. I can apologize for it, but that's not going to fix it. I do ask a little patience until I can get to the other side of getting my house sold, getting the door on the studio, getting all the, the rest of the, the piddly ass crap that comes from moving halfway across the country done. And there's a lot of piddly ass little shit. There's like all these threads that are just out there in the wind and you don't notice them until you move. How much is left undone? In fact, there, as I'm, like I'm part of the Episcopal faith, I am an Episcopalian, just so you know. And in the, when you go and, well, actually, when you confess your sins, you don't do it to a priest in private, although you can, if you want, that's actually part of, part of the faith, if you want to. 
But generally speaking, everybody has a mass confession of sin during certain masses uh, out of the calendar year of the church. Okay. And one of the things that said is that you, that you ask God for forgiveness for is the things that I've done and the things that I've left undone. And the things that I've left undone has been hammering on me for years. Every time I said that part, that's the part of the confession that I most regret. I have the most regrets about not the, you know, ogling the hot ass chick, you know, on the street because I'm married. That's a sin. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Technically that's a fucking sin. You shouldn't be doing that. Right. But it happens. You know, I, I, I don't beat myself up over that. What I beat myself up for is the things left undone. Every time I've ever said or taken confession in mass during mass at an Episcopal church, I always just trip right over that because there's so much shit left undone. And I feel more regret about the shit left undone than the shit that I've done by an order of magnitude, by at least a hundred X. I mean, the shit that I've done, eh, whatever. It's the shit that I've left undone. And I think that goes for a lot of people. What have you left undone? What is undone this year? Can you do it? Can you get it done before the end of the year? I've, I've had every opportunity to figure out that I could put a door into this studio. And I just, I literally didn't put it together that I, when I saw the hinge marks and the fact that the holes were still there. And then I looked over and I saw that there was like a doorknob heart, you know, where the, the thing on the part of the door that accepts the lock part of the doorknob, the hardware. I was like, holy shit, I could just go buy a, a $50 door down at a Home Depot or, or whatever the hardware store is. And it's probably standard size. And I could just put a door on it and get some egg crate foam to kill the noise coming out of the room. And, I'm, and, and it's done. And I just figured this shit out. That's unacceptable. The things that we've left undone, we need to start getting those done so that we don't regret them. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.